You're heading south of the Mason-Dixon. This is the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. Here is your host, Brian McClanahan. Welcome back to the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. This is your host, Brian McClanahan, and this is episode 101, covering the week of December 11th through December 15th, 2017. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Before we get started, just want to remind you of all the usual things. If you like this podcast, please share it around on social media. And you can find us on social media on Facebook at Abbeville Institute, on Twitter at Abbeville INST. And you can go to our YouTube page where you can subscribe there. Just go out and look for Abbeville Institute. If you don't want to look for all those things, go to our webpage, abbevilleinstitute.org. At the top of the page, you'll see all our social media buttons along with our Amazon Smile button. If you want to contribute to the Institute without doing anything but shopping, just click on that Amazon Smile button. And every time you shop at Amazon, you'll contribute a little bit to our mission. Also, while you're at our webpage, abbevilleinstitute.org, give us an email address and we'll give you a free ebook, Kirkpatrick Sales Emancipation Hell. So go on over and get that. Also, want to remind you that we have a conference coming up in February, February 23rd and 24th, 2018, in Charleston, South Carolina. All the information is available on our website for that particular event. So go on out and check that out. It will be a good time. And we have Ben Jones. Cooter as our banquet speaker this year. Um, and also, just a reminder, the end of the year is coming up. If you do believe in our mission to explore what is true and valuable in the Southern tradition, then you might want to make a tax-deductible contribution to the Abbeville Institute. At the top of the page, you can do that by going to the top of our webpage, go up to where it says Memberships, click on that little button. There'll be a drop-down menu there, and you can see Memberships for Individuals for as little as $3 a month or $25 a year. As a student, you can help us in our mission, or $5 a month and $50 a year as a non-student. You can contribute to the Abbeville Institute, and you can help keep the podcast going, help keep the lights on, help keep our programs and website up and running. So all those things are available for you at abbevilleinstitute.org. Okay, so we had a great week. We have one more week to go before we're wrapping up for the year. Next week is our last week. I just want to put that out there. I'll talk about it again next week, but... We will be taking off from the, the week of December 25th and also the week of January 1st. So there will be two weeks where there will be no material on the website and no podcasts. We have one more podcast this year. Uh, episode 102 will be our last of 2017. So that said, uh, we do have some interesting stuff to talk about this week and next week as well. Uh, but I want to start this week with working in reverse. I want to start with the Friday piece that was actually written by Clyde Wilson. It's a piece of poetry, and it's actually going to work into what I'm going to talk about for the rest of the week and the other material we have. So um, this is a very short piece on the website, but I want to uh, read it in its entirety because I think uh, it really sets the stage for what we're going to do for the rest of the uh, articles for this week. So um, a bit of free verse to address our current situation, which is probably not as good as I think it is. It marshals various lines from Donald Davidson's poems. As Faulkner said, all of us writers are really only failed poets. You, Mel Bradford told, of remembering who we are. A time has come when answers will not wait. But what can we tell tall sons where the living do not fight and only the dead can ride? Does the last enchanted white deer still come down to drink? I think that poem really sums up what we do at the Institute in a lot of ways. We are um, looking at a period of time, and, uh, and 
we, we put out an email last week, and of course this was a piece written by Boyd Cathy. Are we witnessing another reconstruction? I think absolutely. We're in another period of time when the South, as one of the pieces talks about this week, one of the pieces this week, when the South is under continual attack. We just had a situation where a family was young boys being bullied, and it came, to, came out that his family had posed, gasp, in front of Confederate flags. So now uh, this boy is no longer a, a tragic figure. He's just a bad kid because his parents posed in front of some Confederate flags. I mean, this is the, the ridiculous situation we live in in America today. But certainly what Clyde is, is getting at here um, is we're in, we're in a very uh, sad time, I think, in a lot of ways. And we've been remembering who we are, but what do we do? Um, how, do we, how do we fight back against this situation we're in in America where um, it seems like every day, as Joe Strongberg wrote in his piece, Hate the South Week, where there's a new Hate the South Week. It's like the, you know, the, the uh, Orwellian uh, two minutes of hate all the time. And the South has become the symbol of that hate in America. It's, it's like the, we're still fighting the war 150 years later. And uh, uh, Joe's actually got another piece coming up this next week that, that talks about that and why that's the case. Uh, and how it's actually, he flips some things on its head and uh, how it's actually the North that's really involved in some type of lost cause myth. And this is true, rather than the South. But certainly, uh, we are in a situation where we have to wonder uh, what the future holds. Now, I'm fairly optimistic about some things. And I think more, optimi more optimistic than most. Because, uh, first of all, when, when the South seceded in 1860 and 61, they had no symbols. There was nothing there. It was just the Southern tradition that was guiding them. And the American tradition more than anything else. I mean, as we'll talk about in one of the pieces this week, it was the American tradition that had guided them. And so you can take down all the symbols, you can take down all the statues, the flags, whatever the case may be. But as long as the tradition, the Jeffersonian tradition of political decentralization remains, the Southern tradition can remain. And of course, as long as what we talked about last week with uh, Dr. Livingston, as long as Southern literature and Southern music and maybe even Southern food remain, the South remains. And so what we're trying to do here at the Abbeville Institute is more than just talk about bullets and buttons when it comes down to the war. And it's more than just the war. It's a 400-year history of the South and all the things that the South represents in America. That's why I've said on this podcast the South is America. Now, Dr. Livingston said, well, you can't say that. Well, you can in this way. As he even said, the Southern tradition, before the war, the South was America. Even after the war, the American tradition that people recognize as purely American in many ways still is the South. Now, we can talk about how the South has been watered down, how that tradition has been watered down, how people don't really want to be Southern anymore. They're embarrassed of being Southern or whatever the case may be. But when we look at many things that are distinctively American, those are still Southern. When we celebrate the Declaration or the Constitution or these type of things, those are still Southern. Without question, they're still Southern. Uh, and so that's the piece that we ran on Monday. I'll talk about that. But um, So this is where we have to take a stand somewhere. And this is what the Institute is doing. We're taking a stand. We're saying no. Enough is enough. Uh, these are the things that are important in the Southern tradition. We're not going to let you demonize an entire tradition 
because of your biases. And so let's let's back up and talk about that original tradition, that that political tradition. And it's often called Jeffersonian, but Jeffersonian was just, uh, Jefferson in many ways is just the symbol of a larger tradition. And this piece we ran on Monday, entitled George Mason and Original Intent, was written by Fitzhugh Lee. Now, if you don't know who Fitzhugh Lee was, he was um, a nephew of Robert E. Lee. He, in fact, uh, was uh, the grandson of Light Horse Harry Lee, and he f- served as a Confederate general. But he wrote this particular piece as the introduction to the life of George Mason, which was published in 1892. And um, George Mason is one of the most important members of the founding generation. It's amazing because it wasn't long ago, in the 1990s, I believe, that George Mason was given a statue in Washington, D.C. Now, he is... Uh, he, of course, was a slaveholder, but he is given a pass because, of course, he was often considered to be the father of the Bill of Rights because George Mason was so insistent that the Constitution had a Bill of Rights added to it. He, in fact, refused to sign the document, saying he'd rather cut off his right hand than as it now stood because it did not have a Bill of Rights. And Mason's objections to the Constitution were read all over the United States and, of course, answered in kind by the friends of the Constitution. And it was often argued that uh, Mason was incorrect about his dire predictions because the Constitution did not have the power that Mason said it had. In fact, it did not destroy the original federal or confederated republic, as people like James Wilson even called it, James Wilson the Nationalist. So this particular piece on George Mason, and of course, December 11th is Mason's birthday, which is why we ran the piece that day. Uh, This particular piece is important in that it it talks about how this political tradition that Mason embodied, a a federal republic, was the original position, was, was the American position, north and south. And that if we lose sight of that, we lose sight of what America actually was when it was founded. And, and of course, Fitzhugh Lee is saying if we lose sight of that, we lose sight of the cause of 1860 and 61, which was just an embodiment of what was going on in the founding generation. And, of course, Mason, I, I think, you know, if, if people actually... Now, now Mason was uh, a, a, an opponent of slavery. He was a slave owner, but he did oppose slavery. Uh, But during the Philadelphia Convention, he actually pointed out, look, I mean, you've left the slave trade open, but you've you've restricted domestic slavery. The one is worse than the other. Uh, You're you're doing things that are are backwards here. But this particular piece reminds America of what Mason meant to the American political tradition. And he says this, quote, We have before us the life of a patriot who labored by tongue and pen to erect a bulwark between federal power and state rights, so strong that the hand of an oppressor could never take away the liberties of the people. The people should control the government, not the government. The people was his war cry. If we strictly adhere to these safe principles of government, we shall discharge our whole duty to the republic and make it what our forefathers intended it it should be, the glory of America and a blessing to humanity. And so Fitzhugh Lee recognized it, for son of Virginia, just like George Mason. 
that Virginia's role, or Virginia's role in the Federal Republic and Mason's role in the Federal Republic was so important because this was the American political tradition. As he pointed out, look, Massachusetts, Connecticut, the Hartford Convention, all of these states recognized that the states were the bulwark, were the defense in their liberties. They were the hedge. They recognized it in the early federal period over and over again. Yet somehow in 1861-61, they consider that treason. And somehow today, you have people running around because of modern historians saying, oh, secession is just treason. It's the most idiotic, ahistorical position that a historian can take. Yet, historians get tenure and accolades and grants and fellowships and all kinds of things based on the fact that they think that somehow secession was treason. Now, you can say that there was a faction of, of the American public that considered secession to be treason. Without question, you can say that. There were Northerners that considered secession to be treason. No doubt. But the fact is, most Americans did not consider it to be treason, even during the war. Now, they fought against the South leaving the Union. But if you look at the numbers, and if you look at, just think logically about this, 60% of the population did not want Abraham Lincoln to be president. And even after the South left the Union, 45% of the Northern population, minimum, didn't want Abraham Lincoln to be president. So when you add that into the South, you still had a majority of Americans that did not think secession was treason. These 45% would have had a peaceful resolution to the conflict and probably allowed the South to go to in peace. So they didn't think secession was treason. So this is the interesting part of the entire process. But of course, we lose that if we lose sight of people like George Mason and the Jeffersonian political tradition, the Southern political tradition, which was the American political tradition. If we lose sight of that, and this is one of the things that we do at the Institute that's so important. And so that's why we ran this piece, because remembering George Mason is as important as remembering Robert E. Lee or Jefferson Davis. The South, again, had a 400-year history, and we're going to get into a little bit more of that um, with the book review we ran on, on Tuesday. So let's talk about that review. This particular book is one of those books that um, would be controversial today. It was published in the 1980s, 1987, in fact. It was written by Michel Sobol, The World They Made Together, Black and White Values in 18th Century Virginia. And it's about how you had in the South, in Virginia at least, a much more fluid racial dynamic than you had, than what people would recognize. And of course, if you read things like Fogel and Ingerman's Time on the Cross, or Eugene Genovese's Roll, Jordan, Roll, The World the Slaves Made, if you read these books, you have a much different perspective on slavery and, and the South and what was going on in Southern society than you do if you just watch Roots or 12 Years a Slave, which doesn't even match the book itself or some of the other things that have come out recently. Uh, it's, it's a much different perspective. It's a much more even-handed perspective. And some might even say that Michel Sobol was writing a book that was pro-slavery. It's not. Neither was Fogel and Engerman, neither was Genovese. None of these individuals ever said that the institution was a good institution, and rightly so. But they actually showed the complexity of the institution and not some cartoonish caricature of the institution. 
In fact, one of the interesting things about the 1850s and what Republicans often said in the 1850s is they were highly critical of the South because they said this was a section that actually favored what they called, quote, miscegenation. It favored the mixing of the races because there were so many uh, mulattoes running around in the South and because there were so many black people in the South, African Americans. They, they, they favored it, whereas here in the North, we're all for good, just good white people. But what this book points out is that there was a fluid relationship, at least in Virginia again, between whites and blacks, that you would find the, them working together and living together in everyday kind of activities that you wouldn't think if you looked at the South from the perspective of, say, again, 21st century television or movies. You wouldn't find that. So this is a very interesting position one that, uh, again, you probably couldn't, it almost seems like you couldn't write this book in 2017. It would be impossible. But taken as, if you look at all of the literature about the institution over time, again, some of the more important seminal works, and this I will consider to be one of them, you find that, uh, again, that this was just a much more interesting situation in the South then you would have, I, I think that's, that's the important thing. It's interesting. Uh, if you look at the, the 21st century literature and the 21st century uh, you know, television and modern pop culture, it's not a very interesting look at the South. And I think it does much to damage American history and in, in the way that we, we engage and in, in interact with each other today. Uh, it, it's not a, a reconciliationist position that, yes, there were bad things, Absolutely, there were bad things. No one would deny those things. But then on the other hand, you have this particular type of, of a book, which uh, uh, you can read it on our website. And some of the quotes, I mean, uh, uh, Vito Musumelli, who wrote the review, goes in and quotes the book word for word and what they said, leaving the emphasis in from Sobol themselves uh, and saying that um, you know, this was a much more fluid and dynamic situation in Virginia than what you would have, than what you would, might even consider to be the case. So it's very interesting. Uh, for example, on page 221 of the book, blacks were often with whites at deathbeds. Funerals for blacks were often attended by substantial numbers of whites, and funerals for whites were attended by blacks. They cried together, sang together, and experienced spirit together. Sometimes they were buried next to each other in the same sacred place. And this gets into a lot of religion and how that, uh, that institution of the church was very important in, in breaking down race relations. Uh, and, and making them much more fluid and uniform. And so that's an interesting part of the book, I think. But again, you wouldn't get that if you just engaged in uh, what Joe Stromberg on uh, Wednesday called Hate the South Week, which is what we see all the time. You just have this South hating going on constantly. It's a constant barrage of the South is bad, the South is evil, the South is everything that's wrong with America. And you see this on a continual basis because it's ahistorical. If what we really wanted to do was cherish all of American history and really understand American history, none of this would take place, and it didn't for a long period of time. The South is recognized as a valuable part of America, as a valuable part of the American tradition and American society. But now what we have is a situation where the South is not considered that. The South is considered the evil other. And a lot of that has to, has to do with the way that uh, American history is written and portrayed today. People like David Blight and others who are simply anti-reconciliation. They don't think it's, it's, reconciliation was a good thing. And I think that 
what they would have wanted. And if you look at some of the things they say, I mean, they would have wanted, I believe, uh, in many ways, the extermination of Southerners after the war. Uh, You'll see people on social media say this. We should have exterminated these people 150 years ago. I mean, how is that? (laughs) Where is that in the spirit of compromise or the spirit of goodwill or saying, yeah, there were mistakes made? Certainly, there were bad things going on. There's no doubt about it. But what, what can we do to move forward? How can we work together and recognize these things and still work together? This is the issue that we have. With, I mean, this is why Booker T. Washington was such a reconciliationist. He said, okay, yeah, all right. There were, there were bad things going on. Understood. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that the institution of slavery was a bad thing. Look, I lived under it, he would say. I, was, I, was, I came up from slavery. But it's that positive message that the reconciliation, the anti-reconciliationists miss in all of this. And I think that's the sad thing about it. Washington would make speeches, great speeches, in front of Union war memorials and praising Union veterans and praising uh, the African Americans who served in the Union war effort. But he would also write letters saying we should have monuments dedicated to Confederate soldiers representing the best of Southern society because they deserve it too. That is a reconciliationist message. That's putting America back together. This is what Lincoln said. If you just want to say, uh, you know, you want to say anything positive about Lincoln with malice toward none in his second inaugural, with charity for all, let us strive to bind up the nation's wounds. That's a reconciliationist message, not a punitive message. But of course, that's not something that a certain segment of society at the time was interested in, and even to this day, people are not interested in. They don't like the reconciliation's message. They don't like Lincoln's message. The radical agenda was always alien to that, and so this is where you get these hate the South weak pogroms that take place, whether it's toppling statues or tearing down flags or whatever the case may be. It's a, it's a pathological mental disorder in many ways, as Paul Graham titled in his book Confederophobia, It really is a phobia, an unnatural, illogical response to something that has no, that does no harm to you whatsoever. But this is where we are in America. And this is why the Abbeville Institute needs to exist, because of that. And of course, it didn't even, it didn't begin after the war. You did have uh, situations even during the war, and that's the piece on Thursday. We had a piece about the boy general, Thomas Benton. Uh, Smith, who was captured as a prisoner in Tennessee, and because he got into a, an altercation with a Union officer, was chopped in the head. It didn't kill him, but he hit hit right in the head. Uh, and of course, for the next 50 years, he suffered terrible physical problems and mental problems because of this. But the, he had already surrendered. And this is the treatment. This is one thing that's often overlooked about the war. Uh, now, not not by everyone, but of course, you know, you'll see. Uh, terrible. Uh, you'll see Andersonville, for example, often portrayed as this very evil part of the South, and how look how awful these prisoner of war camps were. You have prisoner of war camp in Alabama, uh, near uh, Cahaba. It was just a horrible place. So you have these these awful places, but yet we don't recognize the awful situations of northern prisoner of war camps. Which the sad thing about those POW camps is that the North could have done better, but they didn't. They chose not to. It was willful mistreatment. In the South, 
the South was suffering the same type of deprivations as the prisoners themselves. And so the, the mistreatment there oftentimes is not willful. It's just the, the, the prisoner, the prison guards themselves didn't even have the rations to supply. Whereas in the North, they did. They had, I mean, for example, Camp Douglas in Illinois, they had the materials. They just didn't give it to them and were, were denied blankets and coats on purpose in freezing cold weather. They were denied food, adequate water on purpose. They were denied medical care on purpose. And here's a situation. A man surrenders and he's chopped in the head. And of course, we hear about Union soldiers surrendering and then being shot, but we don't often hear about Confederate soldiers meeting the same fate. Why? Because they're the bad guys. They're the traitors. They don't deserve it in the modern narrative. They didn't deserve the same type of treatment, that uh, humane treatment, because they were traitors, because they were evil. And Benton Smith was a real war hero. I mean, the man was a great soldier, a great general, and supremely dedicated to the cause. But of course, and he defended himself in being uh, cascaded. Of course, the, the Union officer who chopped him in the head uh, was later relieved of his command and also uh, you know, punished for this, but he was drunk. But the fact is, this, this happened. So, again, this, is, this provides the complexity of the situation, north and south, uh, how we had terrible things happen on both sides, without question. It's a war. And that's the unfortunate part of war and why, why the South, why Jefferson Davis stood up in 1861 and said, we don't want war. We just want to be left alone. Just leave us, let us go in peace. And I think the majority of Americans wanted that position and were denied that position. So this was the sad tale of the war. And of course, this is what Clyde is saying. You know, how can we today push back against some of these things? And of course, the Abbey Bill Institute, this podcast, our website, this is what we try to do on a continual basis. It's very difficult to do in the modern political climate, modern cultural climate, but the South still has a lot to offer. The Southern tradition still has much to offer America. Again, culturally, literature, music, food, but also politically. And what can, what can we do to help arrest this federal leviathan that is seen as corrupt? Uh, how can people, how can the American people themselves, if there is such a thing, or the people of the states who are not corrupt? I mean, it's unfortunate we're given the choices that we are and people to vote for, but the people themselves are not often corrupt. But we don't have much choice in the matter oftentimes. There are good people out there working on, on solutions to things all over the United States, north and south. But how do you do it when it seems like everyone who's in office is corrupt? And of course, the Leviathan just takes more corruption to itself. And that is the Southern political tradition. Of course, you have to have virtue and other things. It's republicanism that's so important. But these are the things that we should hang on to. These are the things we explore. And when you look at what is true and valuable in the Southern tradition, this reconciliation, its message, goodwill to all, literature, culture, music, politics, and why you should continue to support our mission. Until next time. Good day. Mm -hmm.